1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know, we never use flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though, as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. This is God's word. Uh, let me add my welcome. My name is Matt Fuller. If we're, we've not met, it'd be lovely to do so at some point. There's a, a few extra family members here this morning. Uh, lovely to uh, have you with us. You can join us today. If you are joining us, we've started this little letter uh, last week. It is a delightful letter to spend some time uh, looking at. Uh, I'm sure you'll get up to speed very quickly as we look at it this morning. Let me lead us in prayer together. Thank great God and Father, you give us just what we need. And here is what we need this morning. We need your word on what it is to look after one another. What it is we need to look for in those who we follow. So Father, please address us as you always do. Please speak and please would we be those who listen and respond in faith and love for you we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Now this morning, in essence, for most of our time, we're going to speak about great parenting, which is awkward for many of us who are parents, because not many of us are great at it. But that's what we're going to talk about, uh, great parenting. Uh, and I had a little look around uh, this week to uh, to look online on, on what does great parenting look like. Of course, there's this normal eclectic mix of nonsense. Uh, but there was one or two things I did quite enjoy, uh, actually, uh, some examples of great parenting. I don't know with the sun shining how well you can see them, uh, but uh, here's one mother. We've got that one Christian who uh, texted her son. Can you read that? Uh, I'm leaving for the weekend. I've hidden $100 in your room for food. Clean your room and you'll find it. <laughs> well, they're sort of... Some shrewdness to that, I, I guess. Uh, I was a little, little less sure about the next one, and I may need to read it for you. The next bit of parenting. Uh, it's obviously a child with a sign round her neck, a toddler. The sign says, I pooped in the shower, and my dad had to clean it up. I hereby sign this as permission that he can use this in my yearbook, or my 18th birthday, or at my wedding. 
signed Mia. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that's okay, actually. But um, got away with that. Uh, but then this is the one that's quite sweet. Uh, this is we got the last one. Then we're done, really. Uh, I don't know how well you can see that. Uh, there's a chap called Rick Van Beek, and uh, for the last four years, he's run uh, the local triathlon near where he lives, carrying his daughter who has cerebral palsy. And uh, she can't walk or talk, but uh, he says she has an obvious delight in the outside, uh, loves being in wide open spaces, in particular loves uh, wind on her face. Uh, and so uh, he swims while pulling her in a kayak, uh, and he cycles with her in a little cart behind her. Uh, and then he does the last bit, the run, with her in a wheelchair so she can feel the breeze on her face. And you think, God, that's lovely. That's very, very lovely. We're here in 1 Thessalonians 2. Paul uses parenting as a metaphor, a picture of what it means to be a pastor, what it means to look after people in the setting of a church. As I say, last week we began looking then at this uh, letter of 1 Thessalonians. Uh, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, written at the top, well, they'd, uh, um, they'd planted this church in uh, Thessalonica, but had only really been there just less than a month. So they'd gone in, and for three Sabbaths, we're told, that they're preaching, and uh, people are becoming Christians, both Jews and people from a Greek background are, are becoming Christians, and this causes actually a little bit of a stink, because they all leave the synagogue and, and start their little church, and well, the synagogue's a bit miffed, because it's probably losing out on the money, so riots uh, are held, and so Paul, Silas, Timothy, they flee for their lives. And so therefore, consequently, because of this backdrop, which we read in uh, Acts 16, uh, certain questions have been raised, I guess, by the Thessalonians. Well, why did Paul run away so quickly? Um, does he care for us? No doubt those who are jealous are saying, well, he doesn't care. He's just a charlatan. He was just in it for your money. Now he's gone, let the money come back to us. Uh, that seems to be uh, the echo of what we're hearing in, when you hear in chapter 2. And really, over-simplistic, but 1 Thessalonians essentially is a letter written back by Paul saying, no, look, you're, legit, you're legitimate, you're a real church. I'm legitimate, I'm a, a genuine apostle you can trust. And therefore, keep going. Really, you're, great, you're in great shape. Keep going. You're legit, I'm legit, keep going. Well, there's a couple of things, chapters 4 and 5, we need to think more about Perhaps uh, your view of work and your sexual ethics. And, and I want to expand your hope for the future. You're a hopeful church, but more of that would do you a great deal of good. But really, you're, you're great. You can trust me. Keep going is the tone of uh, this letter, 1 Thessalonians. Now here in this section, in the joy of having chapter 2 and these first 12 verses which we've had read, as Paul defends his ministry against accusation, is that it shows us well, really what ministry in a church should look like. I guess most directly, this will tell you the sort of pastors or, or ministers you want. Therefore, it's a little exposing for someone like me. I guess more generally, it's a, a pattern for all of us in our, our ministry to one another. Elders, deacons, reading one-to-one, sort of caring for one another. Uh, it'll have that impact upon us as well, I would hope. I have to say this, and when you get into uh, the, the, what we'll look at next time, the second half of chapter 2, chapter 3, very personal, Paul speaks. 
very personally. It's actually quite moving. Look down with me. Let's uh, turn. Let me just give you a couple of overview comments before we get into the detail. Uh, When you turn and look in chapter 2, I don't know if you noticed when it was read, Paul is going to appeal to what they know, their experience of his ministry amongst them. So chapter 2, verse 1, you know brothers and sisters that I visit, da, 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 da. Uh, ch- uh, verse 2, we'd suffered, been treated outrageously in Philippi as you know. Verse 5, you know we never used flattery, you, you know how we acted. You get into verse 9, surely you remember, brothers and sisters, you, you saw us. Verse 10, you're witnesses, you know, you saw, just remember how we acted, you saw it, you were witnesses. And above all, I guess, what is the headline is, you are the fruit of our ministry. So chapter 2, verse 1, you know, brothers and sisters, our visit to you is not without results. You became Christians. Uh, or you can see a little explanation of that, verses 13 and 14. Uh, we thank God continually. When you received the word of God, which you heard from, it, heard from us, you accepted it. Not as a human word, but as it is, the word of God. But you know what happened when we arrived. You can't deny that you, that you changed. As we thought last time, you turned from idols to God to serve him. You know that that's taken place. Verse 2, you, you know what it was like. We, we arrived, we'd, we'd been treated outrageously in the city of Philippi. Paul, a Roman citizen in Acts 16, had been flogged, been put in stocks, jailed. It was all illegal for a Roman citizen. He'd been treated that way. And he says, look, in the face of, verse 2, strong opposition, we came and we spoke, we shared the gospel with you. Strong opposition, literally much struggle in the face of much conflict. Here's a really simple bit of language for you. It's, it's the Greek word agonai, from which we get the English word agony. Brilliant, hey? Um, There's a lot of struggle, and it's a word that Paul uses in pretty much every letter to describe his ministry. Struggle, conflict, agony. That is what ministry looks like, he says. That is one of the key words he uses to define his ministry in every single letter. Because struggle is normal in Christian ministry, in trying to help one another in helping people become Christians, grow as Christians. It's normal. So Paul would say, look, you can't have an easy life and a significant life for the Lord. You have to choose. Because Christian ministry, where you make a difference in people's lives, will always be struggle. So you you can't have an easy life and a significant life affecting people. So you choose, in one sense. He's not saying you have a choice. He's saying get on with ministering to one another. But in reality, you and I, we can't have it both ways. You can't do both. If you're going to be involved in people's lives, it's messy. It's hard work. It's tiring. It's draining. Yeah, yeah. But it's significant. What were they like when they arrived? Three things, uh, naturally. 
um, that Paul wants to highlight. Um, when they arrived in uh, uh, this town of Thessalonians, what did the, uh, the people experience of them? Well, Paul would say, I was a God-pleaser, I was a gentle mom and an encouraging dad. Okay, I was a God-pleaser, not a flatterer. I was a gentle mom, not demanding of you. And I was encouraging as a dad, not a burden. Let's work through them, okay? Uh, first then, verses 3 to 5, Paul would say, look, when we arrived... It was like a God-pleaser, not a flatterer. Let me pick it up again from verse 2. We'd previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you this gospel in the face of strong opposition. Verse 3. The appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary... We speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people, but God, who tests our hearts. You know, we never use flattery, nor do we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. So you get the direct rebuttal of the accusations. Presumably, this is what some who are hostile to Paul, who drove him, Silas, Timothy, out, uh, are saying about him that they were... Uh, they made error. They had impure motives. They were attempting to trick. No, 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 no. Uh, on the contrary, says Paul, uh, God entrusted the message to us, and we've passed that on to you. We weren't trying to flatter you. I think it probably is relatively easy to grow a church on the basis of flattery. I think. I'm not very good, so um, uh, I wouldn't know, but... Uh, I think still endemic in our culture is the desire for something supernatural. The little actor from Austin Powers died yesterday. Do you see that? I was just flicking through the news this morning. And uh, the number of people who say, oh, hopefully he's in a better place. That's just sort of normal still in the culture. We hope there's something. So if you can offer people something more than just this life when they need it, and yet at the same time say to them, but God loves you just as you are, don't change. Your lifestyle he thinks it's great. God, you are remarkable. And therefore, God will just help you be even more remarkable. And there's a little bit more for when you die. I think that's quite attractive to people, that sort of flattery, rather than, I guess, the gospel, which would say, you are all completely unremarkable. And it is an extraordinary God who chooses to love you. I would have thought flattery can, can work, probably. I'm sure you could find many churches in London which would flatter, offer you a bit of afterlife, a bit more, God to boost you. Not interested in that, says Paul. See, what I care about is that God approves me. Verse 4, middle of verse 4, we are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. Verse 6, God is our witness. We're not looking for praise from people, not from you or from anyone else. I care what God thinks. God tests. God is our witness. That's who Paul is concerned about. Obviously, not, God is not attesting or assessing whether you're worthy of a place in heaven. No one is. No, the only way anyone accesses heaven, has a relationship with God, is through the work of Jesus. He's the only one who's good enough. And he gives that to us by his grace. But God will test our motives. Uh, He'll assess those things. He'll assess how we minister to others, care for others. And I have to say, I 
I find that an encouraging thought, not a worrying one. Because his assessment is perfect. It is accurate. And he knows that you and, and I, well, like any parent, have our good days, have our bad days. Get something's right, get something's wrong. But his assessment is perfect. I think that's an encouraging thought, actually. He knows our motives, he knows our labours. So even in this life, if no one else sees the useful things we do, God does. It's good. And so knowing that his assessment is coming, it can encourage godly motives, I think. So Paul says, you know how we acted. We were more concerned with being faithful to God than pleasing you, than winning your approval. And God's verdict enables me to do that. For you and me, I don't, well, here's, look, here's a terrible example, really, a very mundane, boring example, but uh, it was one of this week. This week, I was just chatting to a guy in our midweek uh, congregation, and uh, he said, oh, yeah, we're, we're moving. And, oh, okay, we're, uh, we're moving out to uh, somewhere in Hertfordshire. My geography's not super. Anyway, but somewhere out there. And um, uh, he said, yeah. I said, oh, and, and where will you go to church? Oh, we don't know any about it. Oh, I haven't looked at that yet. But um, Hertfordshire, it's just much nicer there, isn't it? It'll just be much better for the family. Than, than, than where we are in London. And you know when someone, it doesn't have to be, it could be clothing or anything, but someone tells you something and they sort of, you know, they really want your approval. Uh, you know, we're, we're moving out. It would just be much nicer and, and, and God wants it to be nicer for our family. Uh, and sort of to his disappointment, I said, oh, well, I don't know if it's nicer or not. Um, just not sure that's a very good question. Is it nicer? I mean, is it, is it better for the Lord? Is it, Will you be more useful? This is a question I might ask. Whether it's nicer for me and my family it probably comes a little bit further down the list. Oh. And I, I don't think he was very pleased with me, actually. <laughs> uh, I think he was a bit miffed. And um, it's all right, I'll see him next week and buy him a drink, probably, or something. But um, uh, it's a terrible example, really. It's a petty thing, a small thing. But he just wanted approval. And uh, I wasn't sure that was my place to do that then, because I thought his priorities were a little awry. Church, or oh, I don't know about that, but bigger garden. It's a silly example. But the job of the pastor is not always to flatter people, to tell them what they want, of course, but it's to honor the Lord. A God-pleaser, not a flatterer, that's what Paul was like. And then we get into the family Example, a gentle mum and encouraging dad. Probably some balance to them. Uh, probably we lean one way or another uh, instinctively. But here is both tenderness and authority, I think, is the balance. So second thing, he's a gentle mum, or he was a gentle mum, not demanding. Uh, let me pick it up, verse 6 again, down to verse 8. Verse 6, we were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else. Even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like little young children among you. I think that's a slightly odd choice of translation. You see the footnote, I think is probably better. We were gentle among you because he then goes on to say, just as a nursing mother cares for her children. It's a bit odd to say we were a child just as a mother cares for it. It doesn't really work. So I think gentle is better. Verse 7, we were gentle among you just as a nursing mother, a breastfeeding mother cares for her children. So we cared for you. 
Now, that's a picture, a metaphor we can get quite easily. I would guess that one or two are breastfeeding right now. It's a picture of real vulnerability, isn't it? There's not a lot hidden um, from your child uh, at that moment in time. You couldn't get further away from domineering, demanding language. Uh, A nursing mother is a giver. There's a real vulnerability there. I don't know, I try to think about it. How does a nursing mum care for her baby? Well, here would be a few thoughts. Attentively, I guess. If baby sort of crawls out of sight, you, as a mum, you want to know where they've gone. You don't just sort of let them wander off. And I guess Paul is the sort of minister who notices people not there, looks out for them, cares. Attentively, I guess thanklessly, uh, as a breastfeeding mum, not many awards for breastfeeder of the year uh, in the magazines, uh, not a huge deal of thanks from your young children. Not, not many uh, will have a, uh, whatever, 20 minutes or whatever it is of, of uh, breastfeeding and then have the experience of their child turning around saying, that was great, mum. Thanks. Uh, and you were up three times in the night. For me, you're the best, mum. Not, not many will receive that. I mean, your child may be the prodigy, but um, not many will get that. Actually, the best you hope will really is a Big healthy burp. That's you know, the best thanks you sort of get, and you're the sort of relieved. Okay, we've not got any problems going forward. Not a lot of thanks from a small child. And I don't know. I guess at times many of us here would have invested plenty in people, and, and not not have been met with effusive gratitude. Whatever form it may take, you may have. At the end of a long day, got home, thought, oh golly, it's nine o'clock, I've got a Bible study tomorrow, and stayed up to the small hours writing a Bible study, and then you get there the following evening, and you have your Bible study to be greeted by a wall of indifference, and you think, great, glad I stayed up for that. Or more often, I guess many will, will pour hours into the lives of some who are struggling. And just be greeted by, well, can't you give me more? Can't you give me more? You're not around as much as I would like. But, you know, I've got my own family, you know, it's quite hard pouring that time in. Or some here would have invested weeks, months of their time in struggling families, struggling marriages. And people go, oh, great, we're, thank you for that. We're back on our feet. And, but the truth is, we, we want to make a fresh start elsewhere where we're not known, where our mistakes are not known. So, all right, thanks. Um, yeah, a breastfeeding mum, it's, it's attentive. You may be greeted by a, a thanklessness. Uh, I guess attentive mums are patient. Most mothers will have low expectations of their small children, and you're not super impatient with them. Uh, fairly recently, one of our neighbours, uh, the mum I was uh, talking to, she just drove up, uh, and the, the, their youngest uh, toddler was in the back. Uh, mum sort of unclipped the toddler from the seat, and then we were having a little chat. So the baby, well, not baby, toddler was sort of jumping around the car a little bit and jumped into the front seat, and we were chatting away a little bit. And then there was a sort of, uh, on the window of the passenger seat, uh, yeah, oh, what is it? Done a wee. Uh, and she was just out of nappies. And uh, I have to admit, um, uh, this piece of information was greeted by myself with uh, laughter uh, because the dad is pretty proud of his car and uh, if he'd been there he would have been less um, less excited but of course the mum just went oh dear let's get you sorted out then 
You know, not anger. Not, come on, you've been out of nappies for, 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 for three weeks now. You really shouldn't be making those sort of mistakes. Just, oh, well, let's sort you out. Come on. <laughs> Says I, as I wander back to my house. Anyway, it's a bit, it's a bit naughty. Younger Christians will always do daft things, uh, and sometimes you need to be firm, and, but often tenderness. A sigh. Let's get you sorted out. In fact, all Christians will do daft things at times, and it's a wisdom call, isn't it, whether there's confrontation of that or a more patient. <sighs> okay, let's, let's sort this out now. Let's see what we can do to help. But there's a real tenderness when a nursing mother cares for her children. The picture shifts a little bit, verse 8. Um, we cared for you, uh, verse 8, because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of, our, of God, but our lives as well. Two things, two things we shared with you, the, the gospel message and our lives, both. Some are very good at sharing their lives, but there is no gospel and actually the most important thing you can share with anyone is the news that in Jesus Christ they can be forgiven for all they've done wrong and have certainty that God loves them and looks forward to seeing them in heaven. That is the most important thing you can share with anyone. And some people are very good at that, but not sharing lives. You know, we can flit on either way. Uh, I had a conversation this week, uh, head of a theological college. Um, we met up and uh, we were just talking about odds and ends. And uh, uh, he said, oh, yes, it was slightly a quirky conversation with one of the students uh, yesterday. He said, I do love teaching the Bible. I love studying the Bible. I love teaching the Bible. And I just want to find a, a role where I can do that nine to five because I don't like being out in the evenings. Uh, to which the principal said, ooh, well, most people are available in the evenings. I think, I think you might have the wrong religion. Which obviously is not encouraging anyone to, uh, to stop being a Christian. But a slightly blunt way of saying, uh, you want to be a pastor? Uh, <laughs> think again, my friend. Uh, I think he was putting that in a slightly understated way. That's a way you hope sort of plops in someone's head and they... Oh. But uh, you can't do that. It's sharing the gospel and sharing lives. Of course, the problem with sharing lives is it's exhausting. Because, you know, many here would know, you know people want you at inconvenient times. They phone when you want to be left alone. Their struggles are draining. Sharing your life actually means being honest about your own struggles. You have to confess to people the things that you get wrong, the things that you're struggling, finding hard. It's hard work. It's tiring. But I don't know, certainly for myself, after, what, a couple of decades of Christian ministry, I, I would observe the people are the great cost and they are the great joy. When you see someone who's hostile and to Christianity and they become a Christian, there's enormous joy, even though you've taken some flack along the way. When you see someone who's limping in the Christian faith and is in a bad way, and then you see them turn around and joyful and flourishing again, it's cost a lot, but the joy is extraordinary. 
uh, one couple uh, chatting to last week, just talking about their home group. They said, yeah, we went, you know, we, we keep going around and thinking, with the possible exception of them, all of us at the moment, we're slightly crawling along in the Christian life. There's something pretty significant going on in everyone's family or work. And it's so wonderful to have one another and to share this with one another. Yeah. Yeah, people. Sharing your life with people, it's exhausting, but it's priceless. Paul was a God-pleaser. He wasn't a flatterer. He was a gentle mum. He wasn't demanding. Uh, Thirdly, briefly then, uh, he was an encouraging dad uh, rather than being a burden to them. And perhaps here's the sort of a balance to the, uh, to the mother image. Here is the authority and courage of a father, uh, both in modeling and in teaching. Uh, modeling we mentioned earlier, but let me just pick it up again. Verse 9. Uh, Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order to not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God of how holy, righteous, blameless we were among you who believed. A couple of times in the letter, Paul praised them for being imitators of him. Look, most of you work it out, or most of us work it out at some point in life. To a greater or lesser degree, we all turn into our parents. You know, daughters do turn into their mums to some extent, and boys do turn into their dads. Whether you desire it or not, no, you know, to a certain degree, it varies. But you do it, and, you know, my dad's been dead a few years now, but I still find myself in my mid-40s beginning to use mannerisms that he used. I've not used them for 45-odd years, but now I start to. How he would enter a room of people he knew and go... In a slightly pathetic way. I mean, he was a big man, my father, much bigger than me, physically imposing this slightly naff, weak wave. And now as I arrive home, I find myself doing this and thinking, why are you doing that? If I did something stupid, my father's common mantra was, up here for thinking, down there for dancing. I have no idea what that means. Apart from the obvious, well, empirically, yes, that's true. Not many people dance on their heads or think with their feet. But I'm not sure in 42 years of coexistence upon this planet I ever saw my father dancing. So I'm not sure what I was meant to learn from this picture. And yet now, in our family, if in particular my son does something a bit daft, I do say, well, you know what Gramps would have said. And he looks at me. But you always said that was a stupid phrase. I know. Because we turn into our fathers and our mothers to a certain extent. Paul wants them to be godly. Verse 10, holy, righteous, and blameless. Twice in the letter, chapter 3, verse 13, chapter 5, verse 23, he will pray that they become blameless as as they've seen in him. He wants them to copy him, imitate him. And so if we are older Christians or those who influence others, you just got to bear in mind that. People will imitate what they see. 
And then teaching, says the imitation, and then the, the, the stress upon teaching, verses 11 and 12. You know that we dealt with you each as, uh, each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Encouraging, not simply, oh, your hair looks nice today, dear. Um, uh, much more than that, it's exhortation, it's come on. It's the same word, really, for the spirit, the, the, the comforter, one who draws alongside us to see us change. Come on. So it can be the, the encouragement of a dad running alongside their child who's trying to learn to bicycle. Come on, come on, come on. It could be the father who, one morning, have their child, having stumbled through the door at 2 a.m., having promised to be home at 11, says, now look, come on. Come on. That's got to change. Come on. But that sort of encouragement, comfort. Yes, look, I know it's hard trusting the Lord in this, but remember, he is a good father. We know that. We can trust him. Encouragement or exhortation, comforting. And then at times urging, at times forcefully impressing the truth, at times directly confronting sin. Look, we've spoken about this before. It's just got to stop. You know it's wrong. It's got to stop. At times that's required. But the picture, of course, is of a father with a very clear idea of where he wants his children to go or be. It's sort of the assumption that that's how the parents, most parents are doing that at home, encouraging, comforting, urging children. You know, here's a dad who says, I want you to be there in life. Therefore, I'm going to try and steer your path that way. So in one sense, what do we, what if, if for those of us who are parents already, what do we dream for our children? What are our aspirations for them? Hopefully they're godly ones and hopefully the same sort of things we want for those we influence, those in our groups. Oh, look, as a rule of thumb, they're, they're always the, the most, the two most simple but useful questions to ask of others. Uh, what is God encouraging you with and what are you struggling with? Not complicated questions, but they're always relevant at the end of every time we meet together, at the end of every church service. What is God encouraging you with? What have you learned recently? What's good about being Christian? What are you struggling with in life? Outward pressures, inward temptations. What are you struggling with? And a father is concerned to encourage, to comfort, to urge those in their orbit to grow in these things. An encouraging dad, not a burden. It's a very lovely picture, isn't it, these three things, and particularly the, uh, the parental image. Of course, being honest, for someone like me, uh, it's a little awkward, it's a little painful. I stand here exposed because uh, we said, look, here's, here's what a pastor, a good pastor is like. And um, you sit there and think, well, you fall short. Um, yeah, uh, and that's why I find the parental image quite useful because all of us who are parents would say, we have our good days, we have our bad days. <laughs> sometimes we get it right, sometimes we get it wrong. Uh, most of us have children who could point out things we've done wrong in their lives occasionally. You know, none of us is the perfect parent, and please don't desire the perfect pastor. Well, you can desire him, but don't expect him. 
wherever you are and wherever you go to church. But every good parent is trying hard to be these things to their kids. And every good pastor will be trying to be this sort of sharing life and the gospel, not flattering, telling the truth, comforting, urging, time to change. All these things are balance. So for all of us, you know, when we're in this sort of role, and to a certain extent, of course, the primary point here is this is the sort of ministry you want. This is, these are the sort of ministers you should have. You know, if you're moving church, if you're just visiting, you know, that this is what you want to be aiming for. But of course, in a secondary sense, this is how we relate to one another. And we try, we do our best, we get it wrong, we ask for forgiveness. But this is the pattern for you and for me. Of course, it's hard work. It's agony. It's struggle. And so no doubt Paul would say to us, so keep looking to your own father in heaven, who is perfect in a way that no one on earth will be, whose word to us is very gentle, very intimate, very nurturing, and whose word to us is firm and urgent and exhorting. Look to him. Look to your saviour. Look to your older brother, Jesus Christ, who, like a mother here, is attentive, who keeps on loving despite what we do, even when we're thankless. Look to him. Look to them, Father, Son, Spirit, and love like this. It's a very lovely picture. What is the Lord encouraging you with? Where are you struggling? Let's do it together. Let me do this in prayer. Our great God and Father, none of us here who are parents do that role perfectly. We all make mistakes. None of us here who are pastors either in a full-time paid sense or in a, uh, for, for the majority here, caring for others in their small groups uh, uh, or just in relationally, one-to-one, caring for one another. None of us do it perfectly. But Father, here is the pattern we want to follow. Here are the pastors we want to be. So, Father, help us not to be naive, for there are many out there who will flatter, who will be man-pleasers, and who will do us no good. Help us to desire over us those who tell the truth, who give their lives, uh, who care deeply for us because they care about your opinion. And, Father, help us love one another in these ways, we ask, for the good of your church, for the honor of your name. Amen.